1: As we grow, our relationships grow as well and vice versa, right? It's like this, like it's happening on both ends. What we do to grow the relationship is going to help us grow as a person and whatever we do to grow ourselves as a person is going to help grow the relationship.
2: You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio and this is episode number 143. Welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. I am your host, Dr. Yami, board certified pediatrician, certified lifestyle medicine physician, certified health and wellness coach, author, speaker, mother, wife, and human being. I passionately believe in the power of diet, habits, and mindset in sparking and sustaining well being and joy in our lives. This podcast combines expert interviews and thoughtful monologues to explore plant-based nutrition, lifestyle medicine, parenting, mindset, and other exciting and fun topics. I hope that these episodes inspire you, uplift you, and equip you with the knowledge and tools to live your best life. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Hey veggie lovers, happy Valentine's day. Just want you to know that I love you and will you be mine? I have a fantastic episode for you today on romantic relationships with a licensed mental health counselor, Genesis games. And this is part of the relationship series for the month of February, the month of love. And today is Valentine's day. So sweet. But I really wanted to go a little bit more in depth on relationships. So this episode in particular is about romantic relationships. Before I tell you more about Genesis, please know that on my website, dryami.com forward slash free I have a wealth of free goodies such as how to replace meat, how to replace dairy, plant based eating out guide, a plant based starter kit. So, if you want to know the books and the documentaries to get you going, nutrients of concern, breakfast, lunch ideas, eating out, shopping list, and more. So, if you are new to the plant based lifestyle, you need some more information, you need some recipes. Head on over to dryami.com. That's D O C T O R Y A M I.com forward slash free. I also want to give a shout out to Sarah Bennett, who left me a five star review on Amazon for my book, A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy. So, Sarah says, helpful insight. Dr. Yami explains intuitive eating for kids in simple and helpful terms. As a mother herself, she gives real life examples of what works and what doesn't. This is a great read for parents looking for advice on getting their kids to eat healthy. Sarah, thank you so much for the review. Thank you to all of my veggie lovers who have read my book, have left a review, have shared it with friends and family. Maybe you even bought it for Christmas gifts this last year. So thank you. I appreciate you so much. Remember that the information on this podcast is for informational educational purposes only. So if you have any particular concerns about you, you need to seek your own therapist, licensed mental health counselor, please do so. So let me talk about Genesis games. So Genesis games is a bilingual English and Spanish psychotherapist and owner of healing connections, an online private practice servicing all of Florida. She helps college students and young adults adjust to life transitions, navigate the dating world, manage relationship issues, set boundaries with family and develop adult friendships. She is passionate about working with individuals, enduring heartbreak and helping them thrive. She is also a Gottman trained couples therapist and works with couples throughout all the stages of the relationship. She sees couples struggling with connection, conflict management, betrayal, parenting, and sexual fulfillment. She wholeheartedly believes that the quality of our lives is measured by the health of our relationships. And I agree too. One of the reasons I chose to focus on relationships this month is because connection is one of the important pillars of lifestyle medicine. You know, when we think about lifestyle medicine, when we think about health, of course, nutrition is so important. Of course, moving our bodies is so important. Sleeping, all of that, super important. But something that we don't talk about as much is our relationships and how those affect our well-being and the quality of our lives. Relationships are in so many different forms. We've already talked about the relationship with ourselves. We learned about the Enneagram. I hope that you love that episode. Today, we're going to talk about romantic relationships. Then we're going to talk also about parent-child relationships and friendships. So that's going to be coming on later in the month. In this episode, Genesis and I talked about the trend of romantic relationships, not just right now in the United States, but also things that have come out from the pandemic. How has that affected relationships? We talk about generational differences in dating and marriage. And then we talk about the top three problems that couples face in their relationships and when they seek therapy with Genesis, what she's seeing, the issues, the typical issues that she's seeing when they seek therapy, some common myths or culturally sustained beliefs about romantic relationships. And it's kind of controversial. This one might make you think a little bit. And we talk about why we have such a hard time talking about and normalizing marital problems, but then she gives us Three skills, three tips for couples, which I think are so great. I'm going to make it into an intent infographic and put it on social media as well. We talk about relationships that are salvageable. What percent does she think really are salvageable? What are some things that make relationships maybe not salvageable? And things that people can do before they get married or enter into long-term relationships to improve the quality of their relationships. It's a really great conversation. I hope that you get a lot out of it. I hope that it makes you reflect upon your long-term partnerships and relationships and maybe some things that you can do to improve the quality. And if you feel like you were thinking already about seeking some couples therapy, maybe this will also inspire you to either seek therapy or pick up a book or maybe invest in a workshop for you and your partner. I really wish you a beautiful, valid, Valentine's Day today. I wish you beautiful connection and relationships with your romantic partners. Veggie lovers, I hope that you enjoy this conversation between myself and Genesis Games. Genesis Games, welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure.
2: Well, this is going to be so much fun. As you know, you are helping me with uh, the relationship series. And so today we're going to be talking about romantic relationships. And I know that you're an expert because you have your own practice and you help a lot of people with this topic. I, I'm assuming that this is a common thing that comes up, but tell us kind of where are we right now? In general, I know it's kind of a broad question, but with the state of romantic relationships in the United States, you know, we've had this pandemic, I've seen headlines and little things coming out about what's happening with relationships. Like it's affecting some negatively, but maybe some it's affecting positively because now people have more time together. So what kind of trends are you
1: seeing? What's happening
2: in our country?
1: I think relationships have definitely taken a hit by this pandemic. Um, I definitely see it because I see the increase for couples therapy. Um, just astronomical increase, and not just the astronomical increase. But I think a lot of times when a member from the couple is reaching out to a therapist like myself for couples therapy, they may reach out and they may say, Oh, this sounds great, but I'm not ready to make an appointment yet. And they may come back like a month later, or they may never come back because you're kind of wishy-washy whether couples therapy would help them or not, whether you know, it's that bad that they need couples therapy. Um, However, what I've been seeing in the last couple of months is people are determined to to get couples therapy they're like can you see me tomorrow like we are in dire need for couples therapy so definitely an astronomical increase but also very decisive that this is what they need or this is what they want for um their relationship i would say that for a lot of couples um it's not necessarily new issues that they're struggling with but rather issues that they had distractions um for before right and so mm-hmm. with this pandemic there's a lot of stillness there's a lot of time you know for a lot of couples where we're spending a lot of time together This can be different for different couples, depending on, you know, whether you're um, long distance relationship or even like what you're doing if you're an essential worker. But I would say for the majority of couples, you're spending a lot of time together and there's not a lot of big things that can really distract you from what's going on in that relationship, what's going on in that dynamic. So these are issues that have been there for years. Um, that had been pushed under the rug effectively up until this point. And now if the issues are in front of us and there's nothing we can do to pretend they don't exist. We are forced to face them and we don't know how to face them. We don't have the tools to face them. It scares us to face them. Um, I think some couples again are like, okay, these are the issues. We can't run away from them anymore. Let's go get therapy. Like, let's do something. We care about this relationship. We want to salvage this relationship. I think for other couples, is, it's really scary. Right. It, it's really scary to face this. And they're more kind of on the edge of I don't think we're going to make it through this. So I've, I've definitely seen a lot of people, individuals actually come to me because of the end of a relationship um, during this pandemic, both long term relationships and also shorter term relationships. And then a lot of couples who know that if they don't go to couples therapy, if they don't learn new tools and new ways to engage with each other. Their relationship won't make it.
2: Wow. That's so fascinating and so interesting that we have this time of like forced stillness, you know, like we, we can't do that buffering that we're used to doing. Like, let's go out and party. Let's go, you know, do this thing. Let's travel till we drop. Let's do all these things to distract us from maybe the reality that a core relationship isn't going the way that we'd like it to go. And then we're forced to face it. And we're like, all right, well, I guess I need to address this now. So I guess it's a good thing in a way, you know, we're, we're going to practice this, we're going to get the tools, but it's also painful whenever you sit down and you're like, all right, I have to do this now I'm forced to do this. So I'm glad that you're available for couples that need that help. Well, one thing I'm curious about, uh, because, you know, I've learned about generational studies and the difference between generations and how they change over time. I'm wondering about younger people now. Are younger people waiting longer to get married? Are they having more practice with relationships before they get
1: married, a greater number
2: of relationships in between? What's going on with that?
1: I think it's really interesting. And so when I think about those generational differences, I think about like the younger millennials. And then Generation Z. And what I see is um, a lot of situationships. So a lot of kind of relationships that almost became relationships but never really got that title or got that label. Um, Really more investment in figuring out their space in the world and what they want to do with their life and um, pursuing higher education, focusing Um, on the field that they're going into pursuing, you know, hobbies and passions that they may have, and not really giving relationships per se, um, so much of a priority early on in life. Not that there's not an interest, which is not not the priority at that point in life. And then more so engaging in these um, situationships that are not as committed, there's no labels, there's less expectations, there's less obligations we can say, um, before they feel ready to commit to something more serious and more long-term.
2: So really the energy and the attention is more on education, personal development, and not as much into the relationships. That's interesting. Well, as a therapist, what are the top three problems that you see couples facing in the relationships? What are the typical issues that they're
1: seeking your help with? So couples often come to me because they have high conflict, and they feel like they can't communicate, they can't get their point across. Um, So conflict management, other times, it has to do with just living these parallel lives, almost like if they were roommates, Um, Mm. the spark is not there anymore, they don't have fun and enjoy each other's presence as much anymore. Maybe there's not a lot of conflict going on. It's not like, you know, they're fighting every day. But there's also no like, Enthusiasm when you're in the same room with the other person. Um, and I would say the last most common one is probably parenting for those who are parents. A lot of times the styles of parenting differ, the way that we want to discipline our child may differ, um, especially when there's a child with some form of a special need um, mm-hmm. and, and just figuring out like those accommodations that need to be made. Um, a lot of times they're not in agreement with that and that can create a lot of conflict in the couple. Um, That's what usually they say when they come to me. What I would say is definitely a sense of disconnection, right? Not feeling connected, not feeling like they can rely on their partner um, or trust their partner with some of the issues that are going on in their life. Can't communicate that because there's not connection.
2: Yeah. And I feel like we could probably all identify with that a little bit in lots of different types of relationships. As I told you before we got on. To the podcast and started recording. In a few months, my husband and I are gonna be celebrating 20 years of marriage. We've been together as a couple for about 23 years. <laughs> and I feel like, you know, we have two kids and we've get, gone through so many different things. We've gone through definitely highs in our relationship, through all our education and training and so many fun things. And we definitely hit those points where it's like, I feel like we're just roommates. You have your life, I have my life. And basically, we just have business meetings where we talk about who's picking up the kids and who's doing this and that. So, I think you know, it is one of those things where you know, it's so helpful to have somebody else to talk this over with that can help walk you through some of these issues that couples face. But speaking of that, what do you think are some common myths or culturally sustained beliefs about romantic relationships? What are some things that, people are always saying, or that you hear from other people that may or may not be true?
1: So I think one of them is that love conquers all. So I Mm -hmm. I hear a lot of people say, well, like, I'm just going to stay in this relationship because I know they love me and I love them. And like our love can overcome any obstacle. And I like to say that our relationship is like blueberry cake. Um, Blueberry cake requires blueberry. Otherwise it wouldn't be blueberry cake. So that would be love. Um, But you don't just make cake, blueberry cake, with just blueberry. You need flour and you need sugar and you need salts and you need baking soda and you probably need other ingredients, right? And the same thing happens for relationships. We need respect. We need communication. We need to have shared values. We need to have like a shared um, world with you. We need to um, be able to, you know, be considerate of the other person, we need to care and appreciate and show gratitude towards the other person. Those are all important ingredients for a relationship. So the love be very well be there. Um, but if those other ingredients are not there, we're going to struggle. And it may not be the healthiest of relationships, I would definitely say that's one of the main ones. Another one that I get a lot is that love is unconditional. And although love may be unconditional, relationships are not unconditional. They should have conditions. They should have boundaries. Um, If they don't, we're kind of opening the gates to toxic and abusive relationships where we are willing to take anything um, because we love the other person without um, any boundaries or or any expectations at all. Mm,
2: Wow. I feel like those could be very controversial whenever you turn them the opposite, right? Love doesn't necessarily conquer all and love doesn't have to be unconditional. I think those could be some very unpopular opinions right there, huh? Could start a good (laughs) debate going, but it makes a lot of sense too. So do you feel like because we have these assumptions that people stay
1: in relationships longer than is healthy for them? I agree. I think that's 100% true. And I think also those beliefs hold people back from seeking help. Um, because they think well, if love conquers all like, why do I need to see a therapist? Or why do I need to go to a couples retreat? Or why should I be that, you know, relationship book, my love should be enough, then that means I don't really love this person, right? Like it, it puts it questions the love if I go outside to seek help. Um, if I say, you know, if I believe that love is unconditional, then again, like, I don't really have to work through forgiveness. I don't have to talk about like the infidelity. I don't need to bring these things up. That should be in the past because my love can, you know, it goes overflows all of that. Um, so there's really no need to bring outside help.
2: Oh, yeah. are
1: that perspective. Yes.
2: Yeah. And that can be very complex too, because I could see somebody saying, that's the only tool I need. The only tool I need, the only skill I need is love. I just need to be more loving and it should fix everything. But in reality, there's so many tools and skills we can learn to improve our relationships all around. And so you're right. It can be a barrier. It can hold you back from growth and improving your relationships. That's such an interesting way to look at it. I love that perspective. Why do we have such a hard time talking about and normalizing marital problems? I feel like, you know, how we talk about Instagram life and there's airbrush. I feel like relationships are like that too. Like we don't talk about relationships, everything seems perfect until then it's over. And you're like, what just happened? What you happened? Know? And yeah. so nobody's talking about the in between. And, you know, definitely there's privacy and there's respect of privacy. I understand that. But I feel like, if we talked about it more, then we would all understand that relationships do require effort and they do require a building of skills and tools. So why is it so hard to talk about it?
1: I think that relationships really are a very vulnerable part of ourselves, right? And I think especially when we are in a committed relationship and, and we've like announced to the world that we're in this committed relationship. Um, It becomes even more vulnerable because we've said, you know, I'm going to be with this person until death duel is a part or whatever the case is, but we're going to, we're committing to this person and we're building this relationship and this life with this person. And so I think we become very protective of that vulnerable part of us we come we also fear I think this sense of like judgment and this Mm -hmm. belief that we failed if I say we're struggling that means that I failed if I say we're struggling people are going to judge my relationship I think a lot of times we also want to protect our partner we don't want people to have like this negative view of our partner just because you're seeing bits and pieces we feel like we know our partner best and we probably do um we get to see the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so we don't want people to just focus on those negative aspects and have this negative view of our partner when we know their our partner is more than maybe those episodes or those instances. Um, but I definitely think there's, like, shame and this fear of failure because we don't talk about it as a very taboo topic. You get married, you go on your honeymoon, you come back, you're supposed to be happy forever, you're supposed to, like, look be looking forward to retiring together and traveling the world when, when you're older. And, and that's kind of it. Um, And so I definitely think it's important that we talk more about it. And, And again, I agree with you, I think that there's like a level of privacy that we have to be mindful of. But at the same time, I think it's important that we talk about going to like how you would maybe talk about going to individual therapy or taking your child to therapy, talking about how you go to couples therapy, couples therapy doesn't have to be a reactive measure, it can be a proactive measure. So we don't have to wait until our relationship is at the edge to then go and seek help, we can do so when things are fine, but we know that maybe there's a, a big light change that's coming up. And we want to make sure that we are in a very good place so that we can overcome this light change together and get stronger instead of, you know, weaker. Um, but it definitely does not have to be a reactive measure. Things don't have to be bad for you to seek therapy.
2: Yes, no, I I agree with that a hundred percent. And you're right; there is so much shame. But I think that the reason there is so much shame is because when we don't hear about other couples seeking therapy or improving their relationships, we assume that everybody else is perfect, you know. Right, and so, if we have a problem, there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with the relationship. I made a mistake, you know. There's all of these just complex topics, and so then we just keep it in. And we don't talk to other people about it. That's just really super interesting to think about. Um, so, I just lost. I just lost. There was something I was going to ask about that. So, yeah, I mean, it's really. Interesting to think about when we're not vocalizing, we're not normalizing these problems. But if you had to estimate, like of all the marriages, and what you've learned too, because you know you've been trained with the Gottman Institute, what percentage of marriages actually experience marital problems? A hundred. Yeah. So then, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're probably barely talking about it. And so we think the opposite. We think like a hundred percent of marriages should be like perfect, smooth sailing, you know, no issues.
1: And I think social media definitely plays a role in that. I mean, I think this has been a taboo topic always. Um, but I think on social media, you know, again, you see these perfectly curated pictures of couples and, and their trips and going, picking up apples and um doing all these like fun activities, right? And you say, oh my gosh, they're so happy. Like look at them. They do all these fun things together. They enjoy each other's presence. Um, they're wonderful, and you don't really know what's happening behind the scenes, right? It's not that everyone's marriage is crumbling, um, but everyone experiences mar- marital issues at some point in their relationship.
2: Yes. And is there certain stages? I think you kind of alluded to this a little bit before. Definitely parenting is a challenge. And if you have a child that is special needs or that has issues that require more time and and commitment, then definitely that can affect it. But are there certain stages throughout a marriage that you see that there's more stress points that kind of bring the couples to the edge, bring the problems out?
1: Yeah, I would definitely say parenting, I would say, especially at the, you know, the beginning new parents. So like the first year or two of life would probably be some of the most stressful because um, it's a complete adjustment, right? From just being focused on yourself and your partner to now having this little life that totally depends on you and just changes your schedule and your lifestyle completely. Um, I would definitely say that it gets intense again um, during teen years for sure. Um, I would say that a lot, um, it can also become difficult close to retirement, because I think a lot of things happen around that age. So anywhere between like 50 and like 65, you know, that's usually when your kids would go off to college. That's also when your parents might be getting older, and they may need more of your assistance, right? Um, So there's a lot of changes that are happening there, a lot of identity changes, you know, our kids don't need us as much anymore, maybe most of our marriage, the main focus has been parenting. Now that the kids are kind of out of the equation, And we have more time with each other. What do we do? So it kind of takes me back to the whole idea of the pandemic. There's more stillness and more time with each other. So what do we do with that time? Um, And then taking care of an elderly parent can also be, you know, very difficult and and very, you know, emotionally and physically exhausting. So I would say that those are probably some of the bigger milestones. But I think a lot of things can, you know, can also impact. We're seeing a lot of dual career relationships. So even making decisions about um, taking a promotion that maybe. Would be more demanding or your schedule would change significantly and impact the quality time that you can spend with your significant other or that may require a lot of traveling or even moving and then deciding like who does the move right um so i think there's a lot of different milestones that can definitely be challenging. You know, it can be really easy for some couples, but then very challenging for other couples.
2: Yes. And each stage brings a different set of challenges that you may not have anticipated beforehand. You're like, okay, well, we're done with that. Then you get to the next stage and you're like, oh, I didn't think about now. My parents might need my help. They might be sick. And that might pull me away from the relationship or it might create other stressors. And I see my parents going through that with my grandparents and how you know, they try to bargain for time with each other when they're needed with these other tasks. So yeah, super interesting. Well, let's talk about skills and tools then. What are some important skills that you wish more couples had to improve their relationships?
1: So I wish that couples understood the importance of appreciation and gratitude. Um, This happens often with a lot of my couples, they really admire their partner, and they feel very grateful for a lot of the things that their partner contributes to the relationship. Yet they keep that inside. They don't express that to the other person, right? Um, And so both end up feeling like they're taken for granted, like the other person doesn't appreciate or recognize the things that they do, the effort that they put towards a relationship, um, and they feel not validated. However, it's, just, it's not true. It's just no one's talking about it. No one is expressing gratitude. Gratitude um, can make such a difference in a relationship. It can really change the tone of conversations and interactions. Um, so really placing importance on gratitude, I think it, it, it would be something major. Something like small, something that's very like doable. You can, you know, as soon as you're done watch, listening to this podcast, you can just set the intention that I'm going to be more grateful. And it's not going to be super hard to be able to do that, but it can have such a significant impact. I would say that another one is creating um, a culture of commitment safety. And what commitment safety means is I know you're in this 100%. I know that even when things get difficult and we're not getting along and some of these like life stages you know, are coming, these milestones, and, and we feel kind of lost, um, you're not going to walk away. We're going to figure this out together no matter how difficult it is. I can make long term plans with you because like, I know you're going to be there for the long term plan. So I think that commitment safety is really important. And one of the ways that I see that often threatened in in relationships is people call out divorce or call out separation in the middle of a heated argument, And it becomes a trend, right? Mm -hmm. It it almost becomes a trend. If I really want to get my partner's attention, I'm just going to say we're going to get a divorce and then I'm going to get their attention. and, And that's what I need to do. It's almost like, When you take a kid to the supermarket and they want candy, and you tell them, no, they they throw the tantrum, and then they know that you're going to be mortified, and so you're going to give in and give them the candy.
0: Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin-Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off, my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. And
2: now for a very
0: important message. Hey
2: veggie lover, if you are looking for free resources to guide you on your plant-based and healthy living journey, go to dryami.com forward slash free for tons of free downloadable PDFs. Hundreds of people have taken advantage of my tips to help them reduce meat and dairy consumption, navigate eating out, and build satisfying plant-based meals. Download one or download them all, and don't forget to share with friends and family dryami.com forward slash free and now back to the episode
1: right and so we we don't I wouldn't say we do that all the time consciously um but we in a way learn that that's the way sometimes I get the attention that we want from our partner but what we don't realize is that we're threatening that commitment safety and then I would say the last one would be emotional safety um, and so really making it a safe space or like a safe haven, um, a relationship and, and feeling comfortable and also allowing our partner to feel comfortable uh, to discuss their hopes, their wishes, their dreams, but also their biggest fears, um, the things that concern them and keep them up at night. And never, you know, never being judgmental or, or or making them feel bad, um, making them feel silky for some of those dreams, but also for some of those fears, making sure that we're not, you know, criticizing them or we're not acting from the space of like contempt because like no one wants to be bullied by their partner right if i feel i'm going to be bullied by my partner if i share something i'm not going to share it i'm going to keep that to myself the more that i keep to myself it's this bigger wedge that's created in the relationship and that's that disconnection that then happens and it's, it's really hard um to be able to um manage conflict, to make plans long-term, to negotiate or to arrive to any form of a compromise if there's like this ocean of a wedge that's disconnecting me from my partner. But if I want my partner to feel connected to me and I want to feel connected to them, I need to make it emotional. Mm-hmm.
2: Wow. Those are such good skills. And each one of those requires practice and time and effort. I'll Definitely. There's not, it's not about perfection, right? But it's about moving forward and seeing where these places you may be able to improve. I think that that, Appreciation and gratitude is so important. I've done podcast episodes on gratitude before, and it can completely change the state of your being when you're when you turn it around. You might be irritated because they didn't load the dishwasher right. You know, you're like, oh, it's in. I can't take it anymore. And then it's like, but you know, this this is the stuff I love. I, I really appreciate you for that. And it totally just opens your heart, melts your heart, and changes your entire perspective. And I think we're used to doing that for children. You know, when we have little kids and we tell them, we validate them all the time. You're doing a great job. I'm so proud of you. I love you. But then we stop doing it for ourselves and for other adults. But what you're saying is it's important to keep saying, to repeat that, to keep showering that person with gratitude and appreciation.
1: Yeah, all humans do better with positive reinforcement than with um, punishment, and that it doesn't matter how old you are, you might be zero, or you might be 90, um, but you're going to do better with positive reinforcement. And I think a lot of times, you know, some things that we do in our relationships come naturally, some people are just naturally really good listeners, some people are naturally just really giving. Um, but sometimes, these things don't come natural to us, we do them because they know they're important for the relationship, or they're important or our partner, but they're not natural. That means I need to actually think about it. I need to be intentional. And so it's important that that doesn't go unrecognized because I am putting extra effort to be able to meet that need for my partner.
2: Yes. And for those people that find it difficult, just know that you can form a habit of anything. So at the beginning, it might be hard, but the more you practice it, the easier it will be when it becomes a habit in your life. I think that commitment safety is so important. And I also, I want to point out too, that it can be a personality thing because I feel like I'm the kind of person (laughs) that when I feel like like I want to escape sometimes, I'm like, okay, if this isn't working for me, I'm out of here. You know, and it's not necessarily a threat. It's more of like, it's not serving me, I'm leaving. But as when you turn it around to the other person, it does put fear. It, it, it's a threat. And so it completely changes their stance in the relationship when it just now it becomes a threatened relationship a fearful relationship and the dynamic changes so what you're saying is when we establish this commitment safety which for people that are married we've kind of made this contract right we a lot of people have said vows we're going to stick through it thick or thin but then it gets to the you know thin part we're like i don't know i think i'm changing my mind about this <laughs> you know but whenever we have that it's like we have a contract. Okay. We're going to stick with it. We're going to work through this together. Don't worry. I won't be abandoning you when it gets tough. Then that relationship has more space to evolve and change as it needs to, but that can be hard.
1: That can definitely be challenging. Um, I remember at a conference once, um, they kind of gave this Um, I guess analogy of when you're renting an apartment right so when you're renting like you'll probably take care of the apartment because you don't want to live like in a dirty ugly place so you'll take care of it but you're not necessarily going to make these big changes because you know you're not staying there for Mm long so you're keeping it good enough so that it's comfortable for you to live in and, and you know you have everything that you need but you're not investing in like changing like redoing a whole bathroom, um, or, you know, changing windows and getting like impact windows have here down here, um, <laughs> you're not making these big changes because you know, you're eventually going to leave and then you're going to, it's going to basically be a gift. Like you can leave the next person and they didn't pay for it. So why would you be giving them such a gift? Right now, when you buy a home, you know, that that's like your forever place, right? At least you're going to be there for a long time. And this is your property and it's going to acquire more value, the more that you put into it, the more that you fix, the more that you invest. So you're willing to sacrifice, you know, not spending money and other fun things that you may enjoy to put it towards this house because you see the value and you see the future in it. And I think the same thing happens in relationships. When we have that commitment safety, we can sacrifice more in a positive way, in a way of, again, some things don't come natural to me, but I know they're important for the relationship. And so I'm going to make my best effort to be able to give that to my partner give that to the relationship, I'm able to invest more in the relationship, I'm able to, you know, do more self growth that would positively impact the relationship. But if I don't feel like this is a long term deal, why would I make myself uncomfortable? Yes, why would I show my vulnerable side? Why would I challenge myself to, you know, learn new habits that don't come naturally to me just because? Hmm.
2: I love that analogy. That's the perfect analogy because I put myself in this situation just about thinking of the difference between renting and owning, you know, you can feel the difference immediately, you know, and you have that, you know, the risk is low when you rent, you know, you could just pick up and move anytime. It's fine. You're not invested. But whenever you buy a house, the risk is higher but your dedication is higher you have more of that energy that willingness to really put that love and commitment into that house make it the way you want it and really take care of it because it's yours you know yeah. yeah i love that that's beautiful and then of course emotional safety i think that's important and all relationships, but especially important with your partner because, you know, that's a person you spend so much time with and they need to be able to feel that safety of telling you, you know, those deepest thoughts. And those are great, great tips. Thank you for that. So are there some marriages, long-term relationships, partnerships that are more salvageable than people think? Do and. I know that you said earlier that you wish people would be more proactive and not wait to like, they're on the edge of divorce or separation. But do you feel like people often think, okay, well, this is probably over, but there's things that people can do to work on those relationships. And what are some of the actions that people can take at this point?
1: I definitely think that most relationships are salvageable. Um, I think that, again, people have this idea that relationships should be easy, that people don't struggle in relationships, that, you know, if you love me, then you must know what I'm thinking and what I need, I don't have to tell you, right? So whenever our relationships begin to veer from that concept or that perspective, then we begin to doubt whether this is the right person or not. And so I think that people just kind of, a lot of times, not all the times, but a lot of times people kind of create this whole soap opera of how we're not supposed to be together because you can't read my mind. Um, and then just kind of out themselves from the relationship. Like they emotionally begin to just disengage and, and find that escape. Um, and at the same time, I think that if people, again, would we'll talk more about marital issues and see. um couples therapy as something proactive versus reactive, um, they would realize that that is not the case. And that a lot of the issues that they're dealing with are very common issues that with the right set of tools, um, they can definitely overcome if they're both willing to engage in couples therapy. Um, I think in the only situations where it really wouldn't be salvageable is if one of the parties is not interested, if one of the parties, you know, doesn't see the problem, doesn't see the issue, has no willingness to engage, to Even put themselves in your partner's shoes, you can't, you know, salvage a marriage by yourself. There's things that you can do if your partner is not willing to go to couples therapy that you know can help you be better in the relationship. But at one point, they're gonna have to meet you halfway. Like you can take the first step, but at one point, they're gonna have to meet you halfway. Otherwise, it's going to be the same. Um, So I think definitely the the lack of willingness of one partner would make it not salvageable. Um, I think chronic lack of commitment can also be an issue. Right. I think sometimes we can overcome that. But when it's been this trend of, you know, just being on and off, um, leaving, filing for divorce, we're not going through. um, There comes a point, I think, where it's really hard to be able to trust that that person is really going to be invested in this relationship this time around. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, It it becomes a bigger risk for the partner that that's trying to work it out. Um, And then definitely in situations where there is any form of abuse, whether it's physical, emotional, um, sexual, financial abuse, um then that is really difficult to come back from that. just the damage that's done, um and even the healing that the person doing the abuse would have to go through, um, it can be really complicated to come back from that,
2: wow, yeah, that's I like how you laid that out that way. so, but the good news is probably most relationships are salvageable, but there are some cases where, You know, maybe that relationship shouldn't go on because it's not healthy for one or both partners or one partner is just simply not going to make the effort to put their part in to build, build that relationship back up. What do you think are things that people can do before they're in a marriage or in a long term relationship that can help improve their relationships in general?
1: So I am very big on premarital counseling and dating therapy. I think they're so important and, you know, they just have a special place in my heart because um, I think there's like this idea that and, and I think, again, this goes with people focusing more younger generations focusing more on their career and like their space in the world rather than on relationships. I think there's also this like belief that, well, when you're young and you're dating, like those are not like serious relationships. You're not really in love with that person. Like you're so young, you're gonna meet so many more people. Um, and although, yes, you're probably gonna meet many more people, that doesn't mean that those feelings are not real, right? And that doesn't mean that that relationship that you have with the person does not hold an important value for you. So I think um, talking and normalizing for marital and dating therapy more is really important. Creating that strong foundation for a relationship is important. And we don't have to wait until you have like a ring on your finger to set that foundation. You can do that from the get-go.
2: Yeah. And I'm a huge, huge promoter of therapy. I just feel like everybody should just have a therapist. Like it should just be like the thing you do in life, you know, but just working on yourself too. And realizing because, my husband and I, we've been together since we were 18. We We're like babies, you know, like babies, babies. So we've grown up together. We've had to develop as individuals, not just as a couple. And there's so much I had to learn about myself, about some of my tendency, about some of my limiting beliefs that I had about what I needed to do and be, to be loved and to be worthy and what he needed to do specifically to show me that I'm loved. So even just going in for an individual therapy, learning how to love and accept yourself and be happy with yourself before you're depending or requiring somebody else to show you, you know, that love, I think is so, so important.
1: Absolutely. I think, you know, as we grow, our relationships grow as well, Mm -hmm. and vice versa, right? It's like this, like, it's happening on both ends. What we do to grow the relationship is going to help us grow as a person. And whatever we do to grow ourselves as a person is going to help grow the relationship. And so I, I think individual therapy can be very helpful in that. I think couples therapy can be very helpful. I think even like couples workshops or couples retreats can be helpful. Uh, doing like a course online, listening to a podcast together, uh, reading books, all of these things can help. Like it may not always be therapy. Um, although I love therapy, it may not always be what's accessible to you, what's feasible to you for many different reasons. Um, but there's other tools that can also help, especially when we're doing this from a proactive stance, right? Mm-hmm. When we're not in full blown crisis, a lot of these other options can be very helpful.
2: Yes. And knowing that it's dynamic, it's a journey. Not only is each individual changing, the, cu- the relationship is changing, but the world is changing. Your circumstances are changing. And so continuing that path of continuous learning and always looking for ways to improve or become closer, I think can be very helpful. What do you wish more couples knew?
1: Hmm, that's a good one. Um, I think that more couples—it would be really helpful if more couples knew more about themselves. Um, like you were saying, those limiting beliefs. Um, I think a lot of us um, don't have the privilege of growing up in a family or in a household where we, where healthy relationships were modeled. So we don't have like a role model to go by. And then, unfortunately, there's also no class in school that teaches you healthy relationships. So we're pretty much kind of winging it. Um, and we somehow you know, whatever we saw, that's what we take as normal. And that's how we set our expectations. And we just kind of blindly go into relationships like that. And so if people kind of became more self aware of some of their limiting beliefs of, you know, questioning how healthy the relationships that they saw growing up were actually, um, if they question some of those expectations they have for themselves and for their partners, um, then I think they could really show up as their best self, as their most authentic self in relationships and really consider like, who am I, what I really want out of, out of a relationship, the kind of partner that I want, the kind of partner I want to be, where's the gap, how can I fill up that gap? Um, and then they can, with that information, show up in a relationship and really be more transparent. Not that we, I think, I mean, sometimes we, we try to put like the best, our best behavior because we really want, you know, the other person um, to not reject us. But I think a lot of times it's not even that conscious. I think a lot of times we we just lack the Mm self-awareness, right? And we think that we would be okay with certain things. We think we can deal with certain things. We think some behaviors are okay. And then when we find ourselves in the midst of it, we realize like this is not working for me. Mm -hmm. So really being able to have that transparency with myself first, but then also with the person I want to engage in a relationship with.
2: Oh, that's so beautiful. Do you have any favorite resources? Obviously, it would be awesome if everybody could have a fabulous therapist like you. But for those people that either they it's not the right time for them to go to therapy or, you know, it's not going to work with their situation. Are there any books or courses or retreats that you really love to refer people to?
1: Yeah. So like you said before, I'm training the Gottman Method. And um, I really love all of their books. I think all of your books are fantastic. Um, One of my favorite one is how to make a marriage work. And it gives you like seven principles to do that. I love it because it's interactive. um, And so it's not just you being, but there's questions and there's activities that you can do um, to really help you internalize um, what you're reading, what you're reading, the concept of message, and think of how you're going to put it into practice. They also have workshops on this book. So you can either like buy the book and do this on your own or do this with your partner, you know, intimately, or you can attend one of these workshops that a lot of things have gone online these days, but they definitely provide that. Um, they also have bringing the baby home, which is a workshop to help um, parents to be and new parents kind of adjust to that big milestone. Um, and I think that's also very helpful, very interactive. And you walk away with, you know, tools that you can begin to implement right away. Um, I would also recommend books from Sue Johnson. Um, she is one of the creators of emotionally focused therapy. Um, and I think that's really kind of help couples that are having a hard time just connecting, feeling really connected to the other, struggling with that emotional and commitment. safety. if, if you feel like that's a struggle in your relationship, um, her books will probably be very helpful for you. One of my favorite ones is Love Sense. But any of her books are really good. Um, And then I actually have a totally free online um, course based on the Gottman method, um, where it kind of lays out the blueprint of healthy relationships. And so um, it's totally free. You can find it on my website. You can do it at your own pace. The content is yours to keep. Um, But it kind of walks you through like the main components of a healthy relationship. And it has um, some activities that you can engage in. And again, you walk away with actionable tools.
2: I love it. Thank you so much. And we'll definitely make sure we put links to all of that in the show notes. And now for a very important message Hey, mama. If you are feeling frustrated about mealtime battles, worried that your child isn't eating enough or eating enough vegetables, afraid that your child is going to get some awful deficiency or disease because of the lack of diversity in their diet, I wrote a book that might be for you. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy is available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Did you know that most children are born with the innate ability to eat the appropriate amount of food to satisfy their hunger and support appropriate growth? Despite this, parents are still anxious and confused about how much and what to feed their children. In addition, many children are labeled as picky eaters or develop behaviors such as hiding and sneaking food. There's also a growing epidemic of dieting behaviors and eating disorders beginning at alarmingly young ages. In my book, you'll learn the five pillars of healthy eating, how to apply intuitive eating through all the stages of development, lifestyle habits that support healthy eating and body image, troubleshooting and problem solving for picky eaters, overeating, and dieting behaviors, how to create and foster a healthy body image in your children. How exploring your own body image and relationship with food will help raise an intuitive eater, and what foods to offer your child at different stages of development. A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating How to Raise Kids Who Love to Eat Healthy, available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook through all major online booksellers. Are you ready for a fresh approach to feeding your child? For more information, visit dryami.com forward slash book. And now back to the episode. But I want to know what personal habit are you most proud of and why?
1: Um, so I think it's going to be a funny one. Um, being, I think for a lot of people in the helping professions. Um, so I mean, like, you know, you can be in the medical field, you can be a therapist, you can be anything that is helping, really. Um, We a lot of times have a hard time asking for help. Um, I think that there's like this perception that we need to have it all together and all figured out because we are helping other people. So how can I help people if I don't have my own life figured out if I don't know how to, you know, perfectly cope with certain situations and and how to handle those situations on my own. Um, So I think that a habit that I'm most proud of is allowing myself to ask for help when I feel like I need help right being honest with myself and recognizing like this is something that is beyond my capacity and I need someone to help me in whatever way that might be um, but really just being honest with myself about that and then being being vulnerable and being able to reach out for help um, again I think that a lot of times you know we talk about stigma with mental health and and, and even like relationships and talking about that and seeking help and you know, how people, as a society, we hold all these like negative beliefs, and that keeps people from actually seeking help. But then I think you also have some stigma, again, in helping professions where you think, well, if I'm in this role, um, I have to be perfect, and my life have to, has to be put together, and my relationships have to be flourishing all the time. Um, and there's kind of a and if I don't, then that means I'm not qualified to do what I do, right. So I think, um, just having that intentionality of reaching out for help and and putting um, myself out there in that way has been very enriching to my life.
2: That's such a great habit. And I agree. I think that a lot of us, when we go into these professions, we have, you know, I think other people also might see us as these like experts and these gurus. And then, so they just assume that we must be perfect. (laughs) So I think that's kind of hard too, because you're already it's from some people being perceived that way. So in order to, whenever you're asking for help, sometimes it feels like you're breaking, you know, that being on that pedestal of like perfect guru, but that's the only way to advance. I mean, no great things, no great life is accomplished alone. It just isn't. We have to have help. And the more we get accustomed to asking for help, the better life we can have. So how long do you think it took you to develop that habit?
1: I think it's it took me most of I most of my 20s, mm-hmm. I would say. Um I think it was a struggle and I think it was little by little, right? Where I became more comfortable asking for help about certain things to certain people. But then it was just those things and those certain people. And it, it was like a process to be able to expand that and to really be able to realize like we're all human. And I think Um, 2020 has really kind of highlighted that because I think, you know, we've all kind of struggled, um, you know, even like working from home, you know, having other people in the household, sometimes getting interruptions, um, things just happening and they're happening to us as much as they're happening to our clients, you know, Mm -hmm. sitting and, and, you know, talking about this pandemic and what's going to happen and, you know, how fatigued we are about thinking, you know, I want to hang out with people, but like, I don't know if it's safe to hang out with people, making all these, you know, decisions. And in knowing that what my client is going through is pretty similar to what I'm going through as well, because in some way we're going through this collectively, I think really highlighted um, that we are as human as everyone else.
2: Yes. And we all help each other. That's yeah. wonderful. Well, this has been so great, Genesis. Please let us know where we can connect with you and tell us about the services and products. You already told us about the free course, but what else do you have available?
1: Um, So you can follow me on Instagram at the Miami therapist is my handle. And so I post quite frequently. Um, I do IGTVs. I try to do one at least once a week um, where I talk about, you know, some of the things that I've posted throughout the week, a little bit more, um, just more in depth. Um, And then you can also go to my website, healingconnections-therapy.com. And my website is, pool of resources. Um, I think when I was creating this website, I really wanted anyone that landed on this website to be able to walk away with something. And so I may not be the therapist for you for many reasons. But if you land on my website, like my hope is that you can walk away with some form of a resource. And so like I said before, I have this um, free course for couples. Um, or for individuals, really, that want to have healthy relationships. So you can take it on your own. You can take it with your significant other. You do not have to be in a romantic relationship to take it. You can still benefit from it, um, and it's totally free. I also have um, a free PDF that talks about attachment styles and how they impact our relationships, and so you can download that for free as well. Um I have links to different mental health, um, different mental health resources. So anything from substance abuse to eating disorders to um, depression. So, if you know whether you are the one struggling or someone you love is struggling, you might find some helpful resources on those topics. I also share with people some of my favorite books that I use in therapy, so that I often recommend um, either my individuals or my couples to purchase and read as part of therapy. I include those as well on my website. Um, any collaborations that I do with media, with podcasts, those are also linked on my website for people to check out and. Every once in a while, um, I do workshops. I do live workshops virtually, um, and so that is definitely something that you can be um, stay in tune if you sign up for my blog. Um, so everyone that signs up for my blog kind of gets first notice of any workshops or anything like that that's going on. Um, I try to blog once or twice a month, and my blogs. Um, sometimes I bring guests into my blogs, and so it's usually around relationships, but you know, relationships and anxiety, or you know, relationships and substance abuse. Um, so I try to bring someone in that has a different area of expertise, and then we try to blend it with relationships in some way. Um, I also create a lot of content surrounding seeking therapy because again, I think there's a lot of stigma and then a lot of misinformation, um, and so I really try to break that down for people so people understand, you know, what to expect when you're seeking a therapist, what to expect in couples therapy, um, even what questions to ask when you're doing some, you know, a phone consultation or you're, you know, looking at someone's psychology today. And you want to make sure that they're going to be a good
2: fit for you, what to look for. That's awesome. And you only see your one-on-one clients in Florida, correct? Your license in Florida? Yes.
1: Yes. Trust in Florida.
2: So I'm putting this wish out to the universe because I feel like with this pandemic, it's highlighted even more that we don't need to be like in the same city or state or even country in order to receive help from somebody. And I really wish that we could have some sort of universal licensing in the United States. Does it, wouldn't that make sense?
1: That would make so much sense. Um, It is my wish. I think it's very difficult, even pandemic aside. Like I said, um, a lot of dual career couples, there's a lot of traveling involved and there's times where people are in long-term relationships. And so if someone is living in Florida, but their partner is living in Georgia, I wouldn't be able to see them as a couple. Yes.
2: Because yeah, those rules are so I'm a physician. So I do telemedicine too. And like the everybody has to be like in the state that you're licensed in.
1: (laughs) It's crazy. It's so frustrating. And it creates a real barrier for people. Um, I'm also bilingual and in, not in every state or in every city do you have bilingual therapists, no. or as many. Yes. Um. And so that's often a challenge. And you know, people will find me on Instagram and want to work with me, and I unfortunately have to tell them that I can't. So I agree with you. I think that that would really make um services so much more accessible to people, mm-hmm. um, and just easier for people to find someone that they really connect with. Yeah, because this is a very personal relationship. Yeah. yeah. This is a very personal relationship, and so it can definitely be difficult to find someone um, that you can really connect with that speaks your language, um, and that you can relate to.
2: Yeah. Well, I'm putting it out there. I'm going to put it on my vision board, universal license, for therapists. I think it would serve so many people. Well, Genesis, this has been so fabulous. You are a wealth of knowledge and experience. And I know that this is going to be so helpful for my listeners, but please leave us with one call to action for the week. So what is one thing that we can start doing today to improve our romantic relationships?
1: So I would say that you can start with um, thinking about connection. And just kind of assessing how connected you feel to your partner today. And what can you do to bring, to fill in that gap, right? From how connected you wish you were to how connected you actually feel right now. One small thing, just one.
2: Beautiful. Okay. That is a beautiful, wonderful call to action. Again, Genesis, thank you so much for your time. I hope you have a very plantastic day over there in Florida.